Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to speak. Father, we, uh, we love You, Lord. We love Your Word. We love Your presence. We love the life that we have in Your Son. And we love the privilege, Lord, to be able to, to study these things and to look into them and see, Father, the mystery that's been hidden from the ages but now has been revealed in these last times. We love when we hear Your Holy Spirit unlock and unfold something to us and we see something of You through the window of Your Word. And so we ask tonight, Lord, that as we have set aside this time, we pray that You would breathe upon the Scripture, that You breathe upon our hearts, O Lord, and that You'd cause us to hear Your voice from heaven. We know, Lord, that You know us better than we know ourselves. You know right where we are right now, and we pray that You would speak to those things that we need to hear. Lord, we lend our ears. Please, Father, it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Remember, it's only a test. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. The passage begins by essentially setting the stage or giving to us the setting upon which the events of the chapter take place. And it simply begins by telling us that after these things, so what things uh, did this take place after? And very simply, uh, after the things concerning the birth of Isaac, which we read about in the last chapter, the long-awaited promised son, and then the things concerning Ishmael, which we also saw last week, 
wherein God commanded Abraham to release Ishmael and Hagar and to send them away because they would not be heir with Isaac and his seed. And then also the things concerning Abimelech, the king of Gerar, and the contention over the well, and the agreement and the contract that they had made. And it finishes off by saying that Abraham dwelt many days in that place, down in that region of Beersheba. And so when it tells us at the opening of this chapter that these events happened after these things, it encapsulates a period of about 30 years. And so at the time we cross into chapter 22, we're not dealing with a a, a young boy, Isaac, that's kind of uh, coming along with Abraham, but really at this time, he's about 30 years old. So he's really a young man, a grown man, but he's traveling with uh, Abraham, his father. And in the context of that setting, now we see Abraham coming to a point way deep into his relationship with God where there is now a test. God has a test for Abraham. It says that it came to pass that the Lord did test Abraham. Now, this is the first time that the word test or tempt, and those two words are kind of interchangeable, but the context of it is a test. It's the first time that this concept or this word is used in the Bible. And as you know by now, as we've been studying the book of Genesis, is that any time we see something mentioned for the first time, there is a law of first mention, which basically means that once we see what that word is used for the first time, it sets the context and the definition for that word throughout the rest of the Bible. And so in that we see a test now for the very first time, we begin to understand what it means when God tests his people. Now, it's interesting to me that the test that comes into Abraham's life is not a circumstance or a situation. It isn't like the kind of a thing where his house unexpectedly catches on fire and he loses all of his possessions and there's this great trial that comes into his life. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm going through a trial or I'm going through a test because of this circumstance that has come into my life, this tragic thing, uh, the loss of a child or, uh, you know, the loss of a job or the loss of a house. That's not what it is. It's also interesting to me that when it says that God did test him, that it isn't the classic temptation of what we would think of in terms of Satan now coming in and tempting him to sin against God in some way like we read of in the book of Job, you know, where Satan came to Job and there was this tempting him on things or the temptations that we face where we're face to face with whether or not we're going to sin and rebel against God. That's not the the, the definition or the context of this tempt or test that's brought upon Abraham at all. But rather, the test that God brings before Abraham is that God asks Abraham Rather, God commands Abraham to offer him something, to give something, to sacrifice something to him that is extremely costly and extremely difficult for him to do. And the question that's before Abraham is, will he obey the thing that God is asking him to do in spite of the value, the cost or the difficulty of what it will mean for him to follow through on it. Now, this is an extremely confusing moment for Abraham in his life. And it's confusing for Abraham, first of all, because God is asking Abraham to give up something that God gave him. In other words, Abraham waited 25 years for this promise that was then miraculously delivered into his life. And it was from God. God made a special visit to Abraham just to say that the time is now here and Sarah's going to have a son. And now 30 years later, after promising that Isaac will be the one through whose seed all the nations will be blessed, now God is saying, I want you to kill him. I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering to me. This is confusing to Abraham. It's also confusing to Abraham because what God is asking him to do is contrary to everything that Abraham has ever known about God. God has never asked in all of the history before Abraham or up to him or really since then ever has God asked for a human sacrifice. 
In fact, God condemns human sacrifice later on in the book of Deuteronomy when it's given the law through his servant Moses. And so God is asking Abraham to give up something that came from him and to do something that's contrary to the nature of God. This is an extremely perplexing thing for Abraham, but yet he's certain that it is the Lord that is asking him to do it. Now, interestingly, the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, where it talks about all these Old Testament heroes, it mentions this offering of Abraham, of Isaac, and it tells us there something that we're not told here in this part of Genesis. And that is that Abraham quickly came to the conclusion that because God had already promised him that Isaac's seed would carry on, that Abraham believed in some way that God would either put a stop to this or that God would raise Isaac again from the dead. So Hebrews tells us that Abraham, though he's confused, He came to that conclusion that, God, you must have a plan on the other side of what you're asking me to do. Nevertheless, the temptation or the test came. Now, we must say at this point that it is a normal, natural, and expected thing that tests and trials will come into the lives of the people of God. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to test you or try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Peter says, don't think it's a strange thing when tests and trials come to you as the people of God because it's a normal, natural thing for us to go through those things. Beyond that, twice we're told in the New Testament that our attitude towards tests when they come is to be a positive attitude, even though they're difficult and hard to go through. Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 5, he tells us in verse 3 that we glory in tribulations, tests and trials that come to us in various ways. And he tells us why, because it works patience and hope and experience, and ultimately it reveals the love of God within our hearts. James tells us in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2, or, yeah, 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or diverse testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So both James and Paul in the New Testament tell us by the Spirit of God, Peter telling us trials are going to come, don't think it's strange, and that we're to have a positive attitude towards those things when they happen because those things are actually serving us and they're serving an important purpose in our lives when they come. You say, well, what in the world is the good purpose of God in the testings that come? What is the good purpose of God in bringing this kind of a test into Abraham's life at this stage of the game? I mean, doesn't God know by now, 50 years, that Abraham is faithful to him? Why does God feel like it's necessary or valuable or profitable to Abraham to test him this late in the game? What is the good that comes from it? And certainly there is good that comes from it, whether it's Abraham at this point or whether it's for you and I at whatever point we're at when God decides to test us for whatever reason that he has. What is the profit of trials and tests? Well, what do we see in the life of Abraham here in this chapter? We see six things, if you're taking notes, in this passage that we've read that God accomplishes in our lives through the tests that we face. Number one, is that the tests in our lives reveal the progress that we've made. The tests in our life reveal to us the progress that we've made. Now, we know, the Bible teaches us, that we are, as Christians, that we are supposed to be growing, right? We're growing in our faith. We're supposed to be advancing. The Bible calls this Christian life a walk, and so we're walking, we're progressing, and we're going somewhere. And that's supposed to be happening, that we're maturing in the things of God. 
And just like with our kids, as they grow up, right, most of us, somewhere in our house, there's a door jam somewhere that has little pencil lines with a date and a name. And we measure the progress of how our kids are growing, how they're advancing, because we want to know at this point they were here, and we want them to see a year later how much they've grown. Well, the same thing is true in the things of God. Now, interestingly, although this is the first time it uses the word test for Abraham, it's not the first test that Abraham has faced. This is actually the fourth time God has tested Abraham in a similar way. The first was at the very beginning. Remember when God said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, your native land, your father's house, your kindred, your friends. I want you to leave and go into a land that I will show you. He came to a place where God tested him and said, will you, for the sake of having me, leave something that's precious to you? And Abraham passed that first test. The second test came a little bit while later when his nephew Lot who was very dear to him and was working alongside of him, living alongside of him in the land of Canaan. And it was time for Abraham and Lot to part ways. And it was difficult for Abraham to do it, but he let it happen. He let go of Lot, and again, for the sake of having more of God, he parted with something that was precious to him. The third time we saw in our study last week, where God said concerning Ishmael, his son, and his handmaid, Hagar, Ishmael's mother, and God said, part, they must go. You've got to let them go so that my purpose and plan for your life can unfold the way it's supposed to unfold. And Abraham passed that third test. And now these 30 years later after that, God comes to him the fourth time. And this time, the most precious thing to Abraham that he has, the son that he waited for for so long, God puts his finger on that love and he says, Abraham, will you at this point sacrifice that even for me? It's an interesting thing that sometimes in our Christian walk and in our relationship with the Lord, we're walking along and we're on this narrow path. And we have these things in our life. And a lot of these are good things, right? I mean, Ishmael for a season was good for Abraham. Isaac, a good thing, you know? For you and I, we have things that we carry with us, our marriage, our children, our business, our career, our hobbies. And sometimes as we carry these things, we come as we're walking with God to a doorway. And that doorway, we find that we're not able to pass through that doorway and to progress upon this path that God has for us with all the things that we're carrying. And we'll hear the Spirit of the Lord whisper in our hearts and say, I need you to lay down such and such and to move through that doorway without it. Because where I'm leading you, if you want to go with me where I'm going, that's not going to fit. You can't carry that with you into the future. And at that point, we have a choice. We can either pass the test and say, okay, God, I trust you. And for the sake of what you want to do in my life, I'm willing to lay this thing down as dear as it is to me, as good as it might be, for the sake of obeying and walking forward with you out of loving trust. That's one option. Or we can fail the test. Sometimes we say, no, God, I'm not. I'm going to leave you behind, and I'm going to keep going with all this other stuff. But if you and this thing can't fit through the door, I'm not willing to part with this thing, so I'm going through this door, and maybe you'll catch up with me later. We'll work it out then. And sometimes we fail a test. We say, no, Lord, I'm not going to part from this thing. And sometimes the third thing that we do, and I think this is probably the thing that we're the most vulnerable to, we don't really pass, and we don't really fail, we just kind of stop. We're moving along and we have all this stuff and God says, it's time to lay this down. And we go, shh. And we come into this contemplative pause in our Christian journey. And we say, well, maybe I'll just plant my feet here for a little while and make up my mind and see how things, or I need to think about it for a little bit. And that's a dangerous place to be because we're either growing or shrinking. We're either advancing or dying. And when we choose to stop our progress in the things of God because we're not willing to lay down something that he's asking us to lay down, we're in danger of dying and not progressing any further than we did at all right there. And so this doorway comes and sometimes what we're carrying can't fit through it and we must choose. And listen, when that choice comes... And we're confronted with it. There's two things in my hand, God and something else. What I choose to let go of 
reveals to me where I'm at in the things of God. It reveals what I actually love more. Because the thing that I love most is the thing that I'm going to carry with me onward, and the thing that I feel like I can part with is the thing that I'm going to leave behind. And when I pass a test, God already knows my heart and what I'm going to do. You can't hide anything from God. He didn't test Abraham because God didn't know. He doesn't test us because he doesn't know. He tests us to show us where we're really at. And when we say, you know what, God, for the sake of what you have for me and who you are to me, I'm willing to lay this down. Lord, it's, it's refuse to me compared to what I have in you. Then we get to see our progress. And we look and we say, I didn't think that was something I could ever let go of. Wow, my love for you, God, is real. My devotion is sincere. And so our trials reveal to us what's important to us, where our affections and devotions really are. Now, what I'm thankful for in this is that God actually prepared Abraham for the test that came. Right? God didn't come to Abraham on the first day, the first week of his Christian walk, and say, hey, listen, you know your son? <laughs> Cut him off. Abraham probably would have failed that test if it, what it, if it was what it was. No, God did it progressively. The first thing was Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to just leave where you are. Go where I'm going to lead you to. And Abraham, in that very small thing, he sacrificed it. He let go of it. He obeyed God. But then he got to see that what he received on the other side of letting go was so much greater than what he would have had if he had hold, held on. So that when the second test came, I need you to depart from Lot and separate. Abraham said, well, that's hard for me. I love Lot. I'm concerned for Lot. But I know what happened last time I obeyed. And God... For the sake of your presence, your promise, your purpose, I'm willing to let go. And he let go. And he saw what he received of God, the growth, the stability, the strength that he had on the other side of letting go the second time. And the third one that was a little bit harder, you need to send Ishmael away. God, that's so hard for me. Please let Ishmael live before you. I don't, I don't know if I can do this, God. I can't let go of it. But Lord, you've been with me. You've been faithful. And because I know you and I know your love and your purpose in my life, I'm willing. And he let go of Ishmael for the sake of what he would receive of God. And what did he receive of God? It says at the end of the last chapter, it says that Abraham called the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Oh, Lord, you can fill and satisfy everything that we yield and lift up to you. And so now when this ultimate test comes, Abraham has a foundation of knowing God and knowing what God does and who God is, and that every offering is worth it, no matter how costly that it is. God prepares us for the tests ahead of time. And then he lets us see the results as we pass and we receive from him. It's interesting to me in this passage how quickly Abraham passed this test. You'll notice that it says, very early in the morning, Abraham arose up, after it is that God spoke to him. Abraham's mentality and philosophy concerning the ask of God is obey first, ask questions later. Very early in the morning, he said, if I take time to even think about this, I know it's going to be difficult for me. And so he obeyed very fast. Nevertheless, our tests allow us to see our progress in the things of God. The second thing, again, for those of you that are taking notes that tests produce in the life of God's people is that tests, listen, tests open our understanding to his purpose and his ways. The tests that we go through open our eyes to his purpose and his ways. Sometimes, don't you think, I know sometimes I do, I can think that the world, the earth, is like God's aquarium. Right? Like the earth is just sitting in God's office, and it's just there, like, like we have fish. And, and it's, he's doing his thing, and he's busy, and he's taking care of, like, bigger and better things. And the world, he just looks every now and again. He's like, ha, they need a little food. And he sprinkles, you know, that whole thing. And he's like, I hope they like that little astronaut that's bubbling, you know, and the whole thing. And sometimes we can think that God is somehow kind of emotionally detached or removed from the uh, micro elements of our lives and the things that are going on. It. Yeah, he provides. He makes sure we have the things that we have. But there's really not much order to it. There's really not much reason. We live for a while. One day, whoop, we turn up sideways, and then he goes, okay, glory, and he kind of scoops us out, and now we're, oh, wow, you know, this whole big thing. Not so. 
The Bible says that God is very, very, very calculated, very intentional, and very specific in our design, our calling, and the purpose that he has for our life. Now, notice what God says to Abraham in verse 2 when he's describing to him what he's to do. He says there, lost my page, he says, and he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and listen, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, listen, which I will tell thee of. Do you see that? No, you don't see it. Oh, yeah, you do. Okay, it's there. Do you see that? That I will tell you of. Now, this is one of the reasons I'm a huge fanatic of the King James, you know, because you probably, if you're not reading the King James, yours doesn't say that. Yours says that I'm going to tell you about or, or some, some other thing that it says, but that's intentional. That's on purpose. God is saying to Abraham, essentially, he's saying, Abraham, yes, I'm testing you. I'm asking you to do something, but I am also revealing something to you that I want you to know and I want you to understand. I'm actually going to reveal the very purpose for your existence and why I made you, saved you, and called you through this test that's coming to you in your life right now. You say, well, what do you mean? How did God do that? Well, I want you to just listen for a moment to what happened as Abraham offered his son and went through and began to fulfill this thing. It tells us in verse 3 that his son and a couple of young men rode in on a donkey to the place. And then it says in verse 3 also that the young men stayed behind while the father and the son, the son, the only son, who's loved of the father, that they went together. In verse 6 it says that the father took the son, placed the wood on his back, and that then the son carried the wood up the hill. It tells us in verses 7 and 8 concerning this mysterious lamb that Isaac is unaware of where it's going to come from, that Abraham looks at Isaac and he says, God will provide himself a lamb. And again, in the language, it's not just that he will provide for himself, but that God will provide of himself a lamb. It tells us in verse 9 that the wood was specifically arranged and that the son, Isaac, was bound to the wood. It tells us in verse 12, that God intervenes and says that you passed the test, and that as he does, in verse 13, it tells us that he turns around and behind him, there was a ram, which is a male lamb, whose head was caught up in a thorny thicket. He had a crown of thorns, if you would, who was offered in the place of Isaac, and as Abraham fulfilled this entire drama that was being played out before him, he got the message. And it says that he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides, meaning provides salvation. And then he declares, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be seen. This is something that is prophetically yet going to take place in the future. Where was the place? Well, we're told it was Mount Moriah. Do you know where Mount Moriah is? Do you know what Mount Moriah is? According to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it's the mountain that David bought from Ornan to build a place of offering to stay the plague, ultimately the place where Solomon built the temple of God, in the exact same place that today we call Mount Calvary, the place where Jesus, the Son of God, the only beloved of his Father, rode in on a donkey, went with the young men, was separated from them, carried the wood up the hill by himself, was there fixed to that cross, and this time no substitute. But with a crown of thorns, the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, was crucified there on that hill, the provision for the salvation of mankind and the fulfillment of the prophecy that's being given to Abraham concerning his descendants by God through this test that he's being given. God using this test to reveal to Abraham the what and the why of his life. God, what are you doing in calling me out of Ur of the Chaldees to live this existence? 
God, why these trials and this pain and this difficulty? I'm so alone in this place. Why? And for years, Abraham would carry that, knowing that there's something, but never knowing what it is. But it would be through the test and the trial that God would bring to him. In this instant, that God would reveal to Abraham something that would take place 2,000 years into the future through his descendants, through the Christ that God would bring into the world through the seed of Abraham that would be the salvation not only of Abraham, but the salvation of all of mankind. Abraham got the message. This was God's way. And through this test, Abraham discovered the big picture of his purpose. You know, so often it happens for you and I as well that the revelation of God's what and why comes through the trials and tribulation that we face, that we hate, but that God uses for His purposes and His glory. God uses the tests to reveal His purpose. The third thing that God does through our tests is that He uses them to draw us into deeper fellowship and communion with God, with Himself. You wonder, maybe like me, I look at this passage and I say, God, why did you do it this way? Why did you reveal all this to Abraham in, in, in this picture, this parable that you were painting through this offering? Why this way? Why didn't you just give Abraham a vision of Mount Moriah and your son on a cross on it and explain to him that way what you were doing, what his purpose was? Why don't you send Abraham a prophet that will say, Thus saith God, you were obedient, and now this is what's going to happen from your descendants, and he's going to say that. Why, God, did you do it this way in asking Abraham to offer his son? Why? What's the reason behind it? Well, here's what God did. God did it in a way that Abraham would feel all of what God felt when God offered his son to save the world. Now again, sometimes we think that God is emotionally absent from the things that we're going through. Right? God, why are you letting this happen to me? Don't you care? And Abraham might have thought that same thing. But in the reality of the situation, what was happening is that God was letting Abraham in on his own sufferings. That's what God felt watching his son carry the wood up the hill. And he's letting Abraham not just know what he's doing, but feel what he's doing. And inside of that, there's a beautiful fellowship that's taking place between God and Abraham in it. Because why? Because what's happening is that they are doing this, in a sense, for one another. God gave his son so that he could get Abraham. And Abraham is offering his son so that he can get God. It's beautiful what's happening here. They're fellowshipping together in this whole thing. See, the great question of this test, this test that Abraham is going through, is not, Abraham, do you love me more than you love Isaac? That's not the question of the test. You might think that it is at first glance, but that's not the question. The real question of this test is, Abraham, do you love me as much as I love you? That's the question that God is asking on things. Because what I'm asking you to do, Abraham, is just the very thing that I'm going to do for you in giving my one and only beloved son so that I can get you. The Apostle Paul has an interesting take on this perspective in Philippians chapter 3. In the New Testament book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is talking about the sufferings and the trials that he has gone through in his relationship with the Lord. And he says this in verse, uh, verse 7. He says, whatever things were considered gain to me, the advantages that I had, he says, those I counted as loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. I don't have to tell you what dung is, do I? In the King James, it's the same as the modern English. Why? He says that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here's why. Paul says, I'll give up anything. He says that I may know him. See, it's not worth it 
to give things up for an it or a thing or even a promise. But Paul says, I will lay all things down that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and listen, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you see that? That's exactly what God is allowing Abraham to experience in this test and in the performance of it. He's literally fellowshipping with God in God's sufferings. And in the process of it, the two are communing. The two are becoming one. And Paul says, God, you can ask me to lay down anything if it means I'm going to be closer to you. If it means I'm going to know you and be called the friend of God, then it's worth it. I'll lay down anything. If by any means I might be a conformed unto his death, he goes on to say. It's an amazing thing that happens between God and Abraham and the depth of fellowship that's, uh, that's developed in it. Ultimately, listen, church, is that when God allows tests, trials, things like this to come into our lives, his primary purpose above all else, not just our progress, not just you know, our future, but the fellowship that we have with him in it. He's with us. If you talk to people that have really suffered or that have gone through things you know, similar like this, it's never easy. They never say, oh yeah, I loved it. I, I, I would choose that for myself any day. But on the other side of it, once they've gone through it, you can ask anybody who's really been tested. We all have to some degree. Isn't it true that it's worth it because of the way we experience the Lord while we're going through it, while we're in it? It always is. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in the fire. They're literally in the place of burning. But they didn't want to come out because Jesus was in the fire with them. They had to be called out. And it's true that when we're going through things and God is with us in it, it's an amazing experience to have Him with us. Number four, tests are an opportunity for us to worship. You'll notice that in verse five, the word worship is used. Abraham said to the young men, you stay here and me and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we will come again unto you. Again, this is a first mention. It's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. and That sets the definition for us of what it means throughout the rest of the Bible. It's amazing to me that worship, in the context of Scripture, is associated with obedience that hurts. If we were to take this passage of Scripture, and I were to assign all of you the task. In fact, you could do this if you want to, though I'm going to ruin it for you when I give you mine. And I said, come up with a definition of worship based upon just this passage. If this passage defines worship, summarize it in a sentence. What is worship? You could do that, but I'll tell you what I, what I put down. And I didn't read this in a book. I, I wrote this myself. So you might say, that is stupid. It's horrible. That's okay. <laughs> But, but I put it as the sacrificial giving up of something we love out of devotional obedience and loving trust in God. I'll read it again. The sacrificial giving up of something we love out of devotional obedience and loving trust in God. In other words, when God asks us to maybe part with something valuable to us, like the context of here, Abraham and Isaac, or God asks us to accept something that's contrary to our will or even sense, our sense. God, why would you ask me to do this? I don't want to do this, but I'm accepting it. Or when God asks us to do something that we really don't want to do, you know, like Bobby talked about on Sunday, God, you're going to make me a missionary, you know, or something. And God asks us to do something that's contrary to what we want to do. So whether it's part with something valuable, accept something contrary, do something we don't want to do, but we obey anyways because we trust God and because we love God, that's the definition of worship. God counts that as an act of worship when we receive his will. The Bible's filled with examples. Of course, Abraham and Isaac here. Remember Moses' staff? It represented his calling. God said, throw it down. And he did, and it became a serpent. Now he got it back, didn't he? Just like Abraham got Isaac back. He said, pick it up by the tail. But God reminding Abraham, listen, you're never to become more in love with the work of the Lord than you are with the Lord of the work. It was an important thing for Moses to learn, but he was called to lay it down. 
I think of Joseph and his dreams. God gave him dreams. But in the process of that, he had to lay those dreams down and accept an unfavorable circumstance being stuck in the prison for all of those years. He accepted that, even though it meant that he had to lay down his dreams. Why? Because he trusted God. He loved God. It was worship. I think of the disciples that were called out of the fishing boat. They loved their industry. And Jesus said, leave the nets. I will make you fishers of men. And they had to let go of something because they trusted something that they saw in Jesus Christ. It was worship. It was an act of worship. But they got something infinitely greater. I think of Joseph and Mary, the parents, the earthly parents of the Son of God, Jesus. What was it like for Joseph to have to take Mary? God asked Joseph, I want you to marry this woman even though she's pregnant, and I want you to believe that this thing is from me. Lord, do you know how hard it is to believe that? Do you know what this means for my future? But I trust you, and I'm willing to do it for you. I think of Mary, who for the rest of her life would be called an adulteress, a fornicator. The Pharisees accused Jesus of being born of fornication. And she was willing to part with her good reputation and her good name out of loving trust for a loving God. Again, I think of Mary with the alabaster box. Her dowry, her well-being, her future, her bank account. She broke it on Jesus so that it could not be received back again. An act of devotion and worship, giving up something that was precious to her because of loving trust in a risen Savior. You go on and on and on. Paul in the thorn of his flesh, giving up comfort for the will of God. On the other side of the coin, I think of the rich young ruler, tested in much the like way. He came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what should I do? And Jesus said, Sell what you have and give alms. And it says that he was very rich and he loved his money. He came to that doorway carrying two suitcases. And God one hand, and the other hand his money. He said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And he let go. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. But what did he get on the other side of it? It's an amazing thing to consider. The call for you and I, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy unto God, which is your reasonable service, that you present your bodies to God. That's all-encompassing, isn't it? Because it means that whatever that thing is that's dear to us, that God would put his finger on and say, are you willing to give this up in order to have more of me? It says it's your reasonable service. Do you know that the word service is also interchangeable with the word worship? That it's your reasonable worship. And so a test that comes into our life is an opportunity for you and I to worship in a tangible, sacrificial way, again, the giving up of something we love, out of devotional obedience and loving trust in God. The fifth thing that tests provide and serve in the life of the child of God is that they prepare us for future glory. Notice again in verses 15 through 18, or verse 16, rather. The Lord said, By myself have I sworn that because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. When Abraham obeyed and he worshipped and he let go, the promise that God had given to him was not only reestablished, but it was deepened. It was carried even further. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 in the New Testament, Paul said, I perceive that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Peter would say that our trials, the tests, the difficulties that we go through are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, as we pass the tests that God lays before us and we value Him worth more than the things that we would hold on to instead, as we do that, God brings us to a greater depth of an inheritance, of knowing Him, of experiencing Him and a legacy of what our lives will produce and count for in this world that we live in. 
Our tests prepare us for future glory. And then finally, sixthly, our tests provide for us an opportunity to enrich someone else. Isn't that an amazing thing? I, I, I think you guys know that I love the Bible. I really love God's Word. And, and, and you know, the reason I love it is manifold. I could spend the, the rest of a week telling you all the reasons why I, I love God's Word. Because of what it's revealed of God to me, of what it's revealed of myself, of what it's taught me about the world and about people. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable uh, what God's Word is. But part of the reason that I love God's Word the way that I do is because, and, and this is not a lie or an exaggeration at all, is that one of the very first Bible studies that I ever went to as a new believer, it was a midweek Bible study held in a small, stinky church with about five people. And I was coming in because I just wanted some truth. And the, the guy teaching it was not a pastor. He was not anything. He was just a man. And he had a big smile and he said, Hey guys, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And he opened to this passage of Scripture. And he began to show and demonstrate how the offering of Isaac so closely correlated with the offering of Christ. Point by point. And as he did, my jaw was opening more and more. And I'm thinking to myself as he's talking, without him even saying it, This is, this is B.C., this was written 2,000 years before Jesus Christ came into the world. There's no way Abraham or Moses or even Daniel could have fabricated this story and made it so closely aligned with what God did in Christ on Calvary's cross. And the conclusion that I came to in just simply hearing what happened in this passage is that the Bible is true. Every word of this Bible is true. God knows what he's talking about. He knows the end from the beginning. This is a worthy record, and this is deep. <laughs> There's some treasure in these hills. That was the conclusion that I came to, and it was because of that Bible study that I fell in love with God's Word. Now, what if Abraham failed the test? What if Abraham didn't take the test? He said, okay, God, I've got two suitcases. I've got 50 years. I'll stop and plant right here. Let heaven be what it is. Genesis would only have 49 chapters. Jesus would still come. He would still be the seed of Abraham. All of the things that God said would still come to pass. God's plan isn't going to be stopped because of one man's disobedience. But I can tell you one thing. I don't love the Bible the way I do. I'm not enriched by what Abraham fulfilled in embracing the test that came into his life. I'm rich in the Lord. Not, don't, oh yeah, I knew it was that kind of church. No, no, no. In Christ, the things that he has given me, the way he's renewed my mind, the way he's blessed me with my family, and just his goodness and his kindness and what I get to do, he's enriched me. I would have none of it. And now, the things that I go through and the tests and the struggles that I face have the ability to pass on to my kids and to future generations and to you guys in ways that I will never be able to comprehend or even figure out. When we pass the tests that God brings to us, we have no idea the ripple effect that it's going to have in future generations. But rest assured that every time we do, God does something with it that's eternal and lasting and enriching for other people. It's worth it. And so tests in the Christian life are a reality no matter what. So I ask you tonight as we close, what are the competing loves that you have in your life, the things that compete with God? It's amazing how we all have those things, right? Like we all probably have like five or six things. They're not bad things. Some maybe are, one or two. We, we know that they're on the chopping block. They're going to go eventually if they haven't yet. But what are the competing loves in your life that constantly are trying to rise above your love for God? And listen, there's always going to be something, right? 
in our lives that's going to want that supreme place. And God is always putting His finger on those little things and checking, isn't He? Like, hey, remember, I'm the blesser. Don't love the blessing more than you love the blesser. But I asked you tonight, what are those things? And is there anything in your life or in your heart or even right now that maybe you're wrestling with that God is talking to you about in, in these weeks or these months or this year that, that He's asking you and He's saying, listen, offer it up as a burnt offering. Are you willing? Are you willing for the sake of your own progress to walk through that doorway? Are you willing for the understanding of your purpose to know that you were put on this earth more than just to fulfill your time and to get out of here and hopefully in one piece? Are you willing for the sake of the fellowship that you'll have with Him on the other side of choosing Him over anything that this world can give? Are you willing for the glory that it will translate into in future generations? Are you willing for the sake of worshiping Him who is worthy to be worshipped? To lay down even the most precious thing to you? Are you willing to do it, I ask you? And I ask you tonight, is there maybe a point at which you failed? A point where you said, no, God, I'm, I'm not going to carry you through that doorway. I, I can't let go of this thing or whatever it is. I, I can't. And you, you failed. You dropped it there. Listen, it's not too late. But would you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, listen, you're choosing beings over glory. Maybe you're here tonight and you did stop. There's a point where you said, okay, well, I've got these two things in my hand and I can keep God and I can keep this. I just can't grow. I can't move forward. But that's fine with me. I'll plant my roots. I'll dig in here and I'll build myself a little cave, a little house, a little Machpelah right here. It's not worth it. Let me read these verses again. By myself have I sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Imagine the joy of our father to be able to speak that over the lives of his kids. And for you and me to, in one hand, have something earthly that we're holding on to, and in the other hand, have that, and say, well, I don't know. It's worth it. It's worth it to lay it down. We're going to close the service a little different tonight. Uh, normally, at this time, I'd ask the worship team to come, but I'm going to ask my wife to come. And we're going to close the service tonight with a, a, a song that is from this study. It's a song that is written by a man named Andrew Peterson. Um, we heard it probably 15 or more years ago, and it has been one of those songs that has lodged itself in our lives in a way that it keeps coming back when we're at the positions where God is saying, do you want to stop here? Or do you want more? And normally I would say, let's stand and sing it together, but you're not going to know it, though the words are up there. But what I'd invite you to do is right where you're seated right now, just stay seated through this song. And right now, in your mind, come to the altar. Maybe just close your eyes and listen to the words or follow along as they will be up on the screen. And commune with God in the things that He's speaking to you about. In the things that He's asking of you. And if there's anything at all that God is saying, lay it down. I just testify to you, it's worth it.